God, we want to understand you more. Speak to us, God. Speak to our souls. can go ahead and take a seat. How are you doing this morning? Good? You guys doing all right? Hey, this this is, I was just thinking about this. We're in the summer months, right? This this is the crowd and the people that are like, I'm really serious about church. I'm going to be here. It's like the last Sunday of July, right? And um, summer's coming to a close for like our jobs and careers and those that are teachers. And it's like right around the corner, it's like, all right, no more summer fun. But yet you're here and you've made it. And so we just want to say, you know, um, you're welcomed if you're new. I know there's some new faces here, faces that have been here for a while. We just want you to know that this is a place that you can kind of step in and experience God and learn about God and grow. And I got to be really honest with you, though. Th- this one's like going to be a, a, an interesting message. And I, I kind of shared this on my Instagram last night. I, I, I was not preparing this for any particular reason other than it was just I'm trying to be more organized in my schedule. So I have like a preaching planner and I mapped out the whole year and I knew we wanted to do Proverbs and I knew I wanted to talk about this. And so it's, it's today and it's here and I'm like, all right, God, I, we're going to talk about it. We're going to open up the scriptures and we're going to read about the book of Proverbs, which is a, a book based off wisdom. Desiring wisdom and knowledge and discernment and trying to figure out the things of life and I just want to do good by God. And so what does the scripture say about life and about understanding and about truth? And so today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to that, okay? Some some interesting passages of scripture. If you want have your Bible, it's gonna be on the screen. Proverbs chapter six, verses sixteen um, and on. I believe it's 16, or, or is it, yes, verse 16. It says this. This is what the scripture says. Are you guys good? You're with me? It says this. <laughs> there are six things the Lord hates. <laughs> six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now remember as we look at the book of Proverbs, for the most part it is King Solomon writing this, this this wisdom literature to us 
then to ancient time, Israel, now to us here in the 21st century, here in America, for our context, California, specifically like the Enlin Empire. What does this mean to you right here, right now? And again, like this isn't the, and I've really been processing this like, okay, God, we got to do this. We're going to, I have a conviction in my honest heart where I just, I know, I believe in the scriptures. We're all going to face God face to face, right? And when I read the scriptures and I've done the study and I've looked at the, the theology, especially some passages of, of books that were written to leaders or pastors, and there's a really big weight on this office or preaching or teaching or being a pastor. And so I tell myself, all right, God, I can't just do like the good job type of messages every Sunday. There has to be the truth of what the scripture is, like the holistic truth of what the Bible is and what it says and what it calls us to. And so... This passage is for me as much as it's for us, right? This isn't for any one person trying to like point the finger. This is for all of us because via the lens of Proverbs, we want wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So the title of this talk is The Shadow Side, The Shadow Side. And then the subtitle would be What God Hates. You know, um, I, I was talking to Kelly this morning. Um, I was watching some videos. I've been thinking about, like, the shadow side and reading some books as I've been going in, in class. And, and I'm going to school right now, and, and a lot of it is, like, character development. It's leadership, and it's spiritual formation. And so one of the classes, we just focused on, like, theologically what many, like, theologians and scholars would have shared throughout centuries and millennia is that there is a shadow side within all of us. Right, like all you got to do is like look in the mirror and you see some things deep down if we really care or if we're conscious enough that there is like some darkness deep within all of us, every one of us, that the monster can come out whenever. And so I was, you know, I was, I was watching some YouTubes on Peter Pan and I'm like, man, I'm like an adult now and I, the last time I watched it I was a little child and it's like I was telling Kelly, Man, the symbolism in Peter Pan is like mind-blowing. And there's this scene in Peter Pan, like in the beginning of the movie, where he goes to Wendy's house, right? And he's a part of the Lost Boys, and he's looking for his shadow. That's why he goes in the house. And he's like, where's my shadow? And he's looking everywhere, and he makes a ruckus, and it's getting loud. And Wendy wakes up like, Peter, I've been, I have your shadow. Like, where have you been? And then, like, Wendy helps Peter Pan sew his shadow like on his feet and then up, and then, and then Peter, he, he recognizes his shadow, and then they're wrestling, his shadow and Peter wrestling and wrestling, and then I just paused, and I was thinking like, wow, that's crazy. Like in Peter Pan, it shows us that we all have, Peter knew he had a shadow side. He was actually chasing after it, and there were moments when he was wrestling with his shadow. We all have shadow sides. There's a, a great philosopher and psychologist of like the last 100 years named Carl Jung and it's a, paraf- a paraphrased quote and, and it has a lot of writing on our, our unconsciousness. He devoted a lot of writing to our unconscious nature, meaning like you don't really know it's there, it's unconscious, but it's there within you somehow and it'll come out whenever. And then there's your conscious side, which you're very aware of, awareness and unawareness. And he said this paraphrased quote, If we follow our shadow side deep enough, it will take us straight to the depths of hell. Ah. And that's like a really, I would really agree with that statement. If you really 
followed your shadow side, would no one knows the secrecy, the unconscious nature of our soul and our mind and our being, if we follow it deep enough, if we're not aware of it enough, if we don't bring it out into light for God to work on in our soul, eventually, if we follow it long enough, it'll take us straight to the depths of hell. That's where the monstrous side of every human being can come out. So if we follow our shadow side, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. So this message is a hard one, like I said, but a real one. I hope you guys want like a real me- This is going to be a real message. So you with me? <laughs> Grandma Liz. So here it is. This, this message is a hard one. So there's dense teaching in this, and, and I'll try to preach it, but I, I really do think it's, 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 it's for teaching, right? Preaching and teaching, and I'm going to try to do both, but it's really teaching. Before we go any further, though, we need, you need to know this just as much as I do. Like every day we need to be reminded of this. God loves you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's plain and simple. God is in fact the very essence of love. So if you didn't know that walking in, you need, it is so incredibly crucial that you know foundationally God loves you. He created you in the image, the imago, the very image of God. He created you and he saw that it was good when he created you. So first we need to understand that and be reminded of that. It's written all over the scriptures. And Jeremiah, who Jesus quoted the most, said this in Jeremiah 31.3. A lot of scripture I'm going to share. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, this is what the Lord said. Jeremiah shared to the Israelites, I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jesus said this in John 13.34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I, God, has loved you, or I, Jesus, have loved you, so you must love one another. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. Now it's not just out in word, but it has become indeed. While we were still sinners, broken, messed up, not quite sure how to maneuver throughout life in the darkness of our soul, Christ died for us, and he demonstrated his love on the cross. Romans 8, 38 To 39 says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, exhaustive list of you can't find it, that will never be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. 1 John says this, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Did you guys get that one? Love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. That one hits me. It's like, whoa, okay, I got to check my shadow often, my false self often. When I ever get into a mode or a moment where I don't have love towards my brother or sister or someone that's frustrating me and making me really mad and angry, if I'm not showing love, if I'm only just reacting on my, what neuroscience doctors and people would say, your, your reptilian brain, just emotion, emotion, emotion. If I'm just operating in emotion and I'm not showing love, then I actually should check my soul. Do I really love God? So we get the picture of love, right? God is a God of love. But, but the scriptures also say there are some things that God hates. We just read it. I mean, you can't really like digest the Hebrew anymore. 
like hate is the word hate. Detestable. He can't stand it. It, it aggravates. It makes him frustrated. It's just, it's painful. It's hurtful. There are things God hates. There are some things then we ought to hate, right? The Bible doesn't say you're supposed to love all things. We're to love people, yes. Very clear on that part. Love people, but it doesn't mean we're to love what people do or even love what I do, right? Like when I look in the mirror and my shadow side comes out, should I love that like evil wickedness, perversion, and, and, and I just want to cause harm and I just want to divide and I just want to be ruthless towards, I, I should not love that part of me. Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon wrote this, said, there is a time for everything under the sun. It's very poetic. And it says there's a, a time to dance and a time to mourn. There's a time to be happy and a time to be sad. There's a time for so many three things. And he says in verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Proverbs 8.13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Right there, right in front of us, scriptures, Proverbs, what we're going through says that. And then Solomon says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I, I can't, I got to get that out of my false, I can't allow that to be rampant in my life. So the shadow is all within us. We could all agree to that, right? We can all agree to some point in our life, there are moments where, wow, like, this is not healthy of me. I probably shouldn't be thinking these things and the more I follow it, I, I, I could see how people could kill and murder and, and cause havoc. I could see where there's Hitlers that arise and Stalin. I could see that. It's very evident. And it's because those individuals were so taken out of reality that they allowed the shadow within to actually become very known in their lives. So it's noteworthy that these seven sins hated by God are, with one exception of murder, all sins of the mind or tongue. Did you notice that? The mind and the tongue. If it's inside, it's eventually going to come out. What's in my mind and my heart is eventually going to spill out in my words. And it's very hard to take back what my words just spilled out. It's the shadow within us. Most of these sins are connected to something we do in or through our body. The eyes have a proud look. The tongue lies and so on. We are again reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans about the presenting the parts of our body or our members, my arm, my leg, my, my mouth, my ears, to God for the work of righteousness, not sin. So we gather together as a community and we fight this shadow really, really hard and we, we walk with Jesus. We become students and apprentices of Jesus so that we can move in righteousness and not in sin. Romans 6 says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. This collection of seven sins is also focused on how we trust others and how we, sorry, how we treat others. How are you treating the people around you? We must honor God and worship him in spirit and in truth, yet God is also concerned about how we treat other people. Because they're created in the image of God just as much as you are, right? So here's the first one. You guys ready? Point one, haughty eyes. A proud look, a cocky demeanor, vanity, a person who is pompous or condescending. 
this is what God can't stand. And Lord, help me because this could be me, right? The word haughty indicates arrogance and pride. Someone who thinks himself above the norm and able to do anything that he likes or she likes. As in fact revealed by what follows, he or she sees himself as special. I'm, I'm special. I'm above you. I'm arrogant. I'm proud. And even as being able to then... What arrogance does is it, it challenges God then. It pushes back on the things of scriptures and says, I'm better than that or you, God. When Moses approached Pharaoh, many of us know the story or at some point in our life knew that Moses kind of like, you know, parted the sea and the Israelites win. And we somehow know of that story, right, of Moses and Pharaoh. Well, Moses was called to go on mission and to stand before one of the most powerful, prominent men in his time. And it was Pharaoh of Egypt. And Moses said, God says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let the Israelites, let the Hebrews go. And Pharaoh says this in a haughty, pompous, proud response. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Who is this Lord? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And we know that that did not go well for Pharaoh after. <laughs> Ten plagues happened and there was brokenness and death, and there was, it was just crazy chaos. It did not go well for Pharaoh after that. It's not wise to act arrogantly against the Lord. Do you ever display a proud look? I know I have. I know when I was in high school, I thought I was the guy. My, my friends, when I got to Bible school, called me the tool in the pool. Because I played water polo, and I thought I was so cool walking around like I'm the ish. And it's like, that's not good. That, that won't go well for you, Sammy, right? This is going to hit all of us, so just bear with me here. If you're white, do you look down on others? If you're black, do you look down on others? If you're Asian, do you look down on others? If you're Latino, do you look down on others? If you're Arab and the list Jew, the list goes on and on. Do you look down on other races based off yours? Anyone can look down on others, and it can become our shadow side. None of us can run from this. It's happened to all of us. We're all in the same boat here. If you're rich, do you look down on poor people? If you're poor, do you look down on rich? Here's a good one. Oh, I'm, I'm coming. I mean, this is just a scripture. Like, if you're Democrat, do you look down on Republicans? If you're a Republican, do you look down on a Democrat? Do you have haughty eyes? I'm just reading what the scripture says. We want to grow. Do you want to grow in maturity with Jesus? Do you want, you don't just want this. I don't just want this. I kind of have gotten to a point where it's like, when it's just like this, it's like, I'm not really growing, growing, right? Good job, Sammy. You're doing great. Yes, God loves me. But now what? Because this life is hard and it's difficult and it's filled with suffering and I need to make sense of it. And I need to know that God is for me and not against me. And so I want to be for God and not against God. So I want to, I want to hate what God hates. And God says, I cannot stand a proud, haughty, arrogant look. Don't have that. It's not good. So, Sammy, check yourself. Write this down if you're taking notes. I think this is good. Jesus didn't want us to walk in haughtiness, but instead in humility. He wants us to walk in humility. It's not fun to walk in humi humility at times, but it is the way of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're a coward. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're soft. If anything, it means you're more stronger than those that are haughty. Because Jesus had all the power in the world. 
It was true what the Romans said. Why don't you send your angels, Jesus, to save you? Of course he could have done it in a, a blink of an eye, but that was the, the, the strength within Jesus on the cross to endure what all of us needed, which is like hell because of our shadow side, and it's going to cause havoc, and we're going to be evil, and it's going to be hard, and, and the world we live in, and, and Jesus needed to fix it, but he chose not to use his power. He withheld it. There's more strength in that than just blasting your power everywhere. Come on, Erica. <laughs> Here's the second one. Are you guys good? I know, I know. This is for me, though. Here's the second one. God can't stand or hate a lying tongue. We've all told a lie. Who hasn't told a lie here? If you say no, you've just lied, right? <laughs> God loves truth. You can't stand lies. Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever. Truthful lips endure forever. But a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Proverbs 14, 25 says, a truthful witness saves lives. The truth will save you. But a false witness is deceitful. Proverbs 19.5 says, a false witness will not go unpunished. And whoever pours out lies will not go free. Sammy, check your lies, man. Are you lying? It's not good. Proverbs 30 says this, two things I ask of you, Lord. Two, that I do not ref don't refuse me before I die, God, and keep falsehood and lies far from me. God, keep that stuff far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, and I love this, but give me only what I need, my daily bread. God does not want a lying tongue. He doesn't want a lying tongue. God is truth, and the truth will set you free. Here it is. My mom used to say this to me all the time, and that's like, wow, it's so true. Like, Satan, it comes from the Bible, right? It's not just made up. Satan or the devil or the adversary to your soul or to humanity, the great adversary, is the antithesis to God, which is, if God is truth, then Satan is lie. He's the father of lies, actually. The father of lies. He's the father of deception. Jesus says this to the Pharisees on behalf of Satan. You belong to your father, he says, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. They were lying about him. He was murderous from the beginning, Jesus says about Satan, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him the great adversary to your soul. When he lies, he speaks his native language. You want to speak the same language as Satan? Just lie all the time. Just lie, just lie. Just, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. It's a fib. It's a lie. And I'm just going to live my life filled with lies. And it's just not going to go well for us if we do that. Sammy, check your mouth. Are you lying? He says he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Not good to lie, right? Here's the third one. This one's tough too. Ready? God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Can't stand it. In the Old Testament, there was a God known by the name of Moloch. Okay? There was the old, remember, we're going ancient time where there's gods and goddesses. And I mean, they're still like that today. It's just different. And the Israelites had their God, the one true God. It was Yahweh, and Yahweh, God, gave him rules and order and said, hey, if you live like this, it's going to go well for you. It's, I'm going to save you. I'm going to protect you. It'll be good, but don't follow the other gods because it will lead you straight to hell. And unfortunately, there was a God named Moloch, and in order to satisfy this God, guess what you would do? You would sacrifice your children to this God. 
to appease a plea and just make this God feel good so that he can do good things for you. I mean, what is that? That's, I don't know if that's dark side. I don't know what it is. Psalms 106 says this in the, New Test, in, in the NIV. They shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. That's tough. Meaning it was polluted. When they shed this blood, they literally, it was a big, big, giant hole. And there were flames that's, that came from. That's why they call sometimes hell like this. And, and they would, I mean, just can you go there? You have a child. It was just born. I want to please Molech. And so, come on, child, let's go. And you throw the child in the pit. And you shed innocent blood. And that really happened. And you're going to tell us and me, I'm going to tell myself when I look in the mirror, I can't get that dark? Sure I can. We all can. The monster is creeping within. The shadow, the false side, if we give it too much attention, if we don't give it enough ten attention, we can get to very difficult, painful harm on others. And here it is. It's just the honest truth. It's possible that there is pollution in this land. I love my country. I wanted to be a rescue swimmer like uh, that movie with, um, what's his name, when he went and swam, and Ashton Kutcher, come on. I wanted to be that guy, and I, I, I love my country. I wanted to do that. I just, I love this country so much. I believe there, we have so much to offer the world. There's freedom like no other, and I love it, yet I cannot be naive to know that yet there's some things that should, that should be worked on, and we should look at it for what it is, and it's possible there's pollution in this land with slaves, their innocent blood, with, with those that already settled here when we came and we just wanted gain. And then this is the honest truth. The last 45 years, that her, there has been innocent blood via abortion. Now hear me on this. I'm just trying to be real and honest in what the scripture calls us to. We, innocent blood, the, Moloch. I don't know if you knew this, but there's 2,000 plus babies aborted a day. That's innocent blood. God help me and us. And here's the thing, though. I'm not, like, just one-sided on everything. That's not who I am. I don't think that's even wise. I do believe there are cases and scenarios. I, I know there's God's love and his grace on you. And so if you're sitting here and maybe that, was, maybe that happened, just know God's love for you. It's, it's his grace. But there also is this that happens in the world. There still is innocent blood being shed. Here's number four. God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. Scheming, undermining, a mind that thinks evil on others. I know I've done that at times in my life. I know I wanted to fight people and I thought through it and I planned it and I, I was malicious about it. And I know that like when you go and see and like on Netflix and you see stories of like a man that kills his family. It's like it started in the mind first. It was planned out. And it was a scheme, it was a plan, there was, there was an idea that just built off of each other and the, the, the shadow side became so rampant. And the Jewish religious leaders almost lived to this, they, they did this to Jesus. In Luke it says, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. And they, they, they began to besiege him with questions, scheming questions. How can we trip up Jesus? Let's put an adulterous woman in front of him and see what he does. Is he going to stone her? Because that's what the law says. Or plotting to catch him in something he might say, slandering other people, plotting ill intent on others. We have no right to hate anyone, right? Don't have a scheming heart that 
words that, that, that are hard, that put others down. Number five, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this a little bit quicker because we're, we're getting low on time, but this is good stuff. I know it's hard, but it's good. Number five, God hates feet that are quick to rush into evil. Scripture calls us to walk away from evil and sin and not to run to it. Let your eyes look straight ahead, Scripture says. Fix your gaze directly before you give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Psalm 1, one of my favorite scriptures says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law has God on the forefront of his mind or her mind all day. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked, unfortunately. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Romans 8, 4 says, don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Like, you know, going back to the neuroscience part of our brain, don't allow the reptilian instinctual brain take over. Whenever there's a moment, like, think through what we're going to do, right? Don't just allow our emotions to lead us because that will take us down a very painful path if we do. Number six, I'm going to get this one quick. A false witness who pours out lies. This one's a little bit different than a lying tongue. This is more specific than a lying tongue, and there's a story of Ahab and Naboth and Jezebel, and i got to read it to you because it's really good. It's a narrative that will shed light to stories on this. Ahab wanted the vineyard. He was a king, okay? Naboth had a beautiful vineyard, beautiful. And, and Ahab said, I want that vineyard that Naboth has. And Naboth said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. It was passed down by my ancestors. It was my father's and my father's father's. I cannot do that. Sorry, Ahab king, I can't do that. Ahab said, I'll give you all the riches, whatever you want. I just want this beautiful vineyard. He said, no, I can't. And Ahab went back, and to paraphrase, he cried like a baby, and he didn't eat. Like if you read it, he just went home, he didn't eat, and he just laid in bed. And his wife, his queen, who we kind of have known in culture as Jezebel, said, is this how you act as a king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, sent them to the elders and the nobles who lived in the Naboth city with him. In those letters she wrote these words. Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels or dishonest people. So let's do that. Let's seat two dishonest people opposite him and have them bring charges to Naboth. That Naboth accused both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did just as De Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth in a prominent place. Then they, they placed two people that were opposite of him, brought the charges against Naboth before the people. And Naboth had, has cursed both God. This is what they're saying he's doing. He's cursing God and the king. And so what they did is they stoned Naboth to death over a vineyard. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard. 
he's no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down to take possession in Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the prophet that spoke on behalf of God, said this, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says, Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood as well. Ah, that's like God saying, I will have vengeance when you treat God's people wrong. I'm going to do that. So is it a false witness? Are you bringing people's character down? Are you bringing people's lives down and it can result in pain and even death? God says, I'll handle that. They both died horrible deaths, by the way. That was the end of the story. And later Jezebel was thrown from her window and dogs ate her flesh. That's what the scripture says. Terrifying. I'm like, ah, but it's like, wow, the narrative, the narrative is powerful. It's not wise to mess with God's people or just people in general on false accusation. And number seven is the last one, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. We can't wake up in the morning like this ready to fight. Who can I get? Who can I take down today? How can I speak bad about someone? Who can I get this morning? It's not the way of Jesus. It's the dark shadow side within all of us. I have been a person like this at times in my life. I have to constantly push back on it. If you allow it to take a hold of your character in life, it will lead you to a life of loneliness. Just won't have friends. Or if you do, it's just a group of friends filled with conflict. God is a God of unity and not of division. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. There is nothing better than a church together and united. Nothing worse than a church and people divided. And the same is true for marriage, for the married people, right? And it's just not good when it's not good. But when it is good, it's good. So fight for unity, in all areas of your life, in your family, in your marriage, with your children, with your community, let's fight for that. Ephesians 4 says, as a prisoner of, for the Lord, Paul said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. As we look across our culture and our world today, right now, would you say that we're united or are we divided? We're pretty divided, right, on so many levels. It's divided, and I really believe, I'll go as far to say this, I don't normally say this, but I really do believe it's the devil. Like, I know, it's like, okay, churchy guy, yeah, but no, I, I, like, look at the world. The division is just rampant, and people want to kill one another, and there's riots, and it's terrifying, and it's like, what, where have we gone? And it's like, the father of lies seems to be rampant, yet... We can't put too much blame on the devil. Hear me. We can't put too much blame on the devil. We must take ownership of our own lives. Responsibility. I'm going to own up to this. I'm going to own up to my haughty eyes. I'm going to own up to my scheming lies. I'm going to own up to my false witness. I'm going to own up that I've stirred up some conflict. I'm going to own up. And it's not just the devil. No, that was on me. I did that too. 
we just had a leader retreat and our team talked about being healthy. I shared this and it says, there's a quote that we got from a pastor named John Mark Comer and it's that the greatest threat to the people you are leading, because we're all leading someone at some capacity, your children, your family, some, there's, there's people that you have influence over. The greatest threat to the people you're leading is yourself. It's, it's you. He says it's not Satan or he says the greatest threat to the people in our lives is you, right? It's not Satan. It's not secularism. It's not the iPhone. It's not all of this crazy wickedness going on in the world. The greatest threat to the people in your lives is you and me. God, help me. It's me and it's you. Did you know every revival in church history began with a united mind with one accord? Worship, you guys can come on up. So it is not a sin to hate sin. Do you guys hear that part? It's not a sin to hate sin. Like if God hates that, I want to hate that too. If God loves something, I want to love that. But I, I'm not going to like what God doesn't like, right? I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be an apprentice of God. I, I know that the, the life that he calls me to, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I want to be blessed. I want to have favor. I want to have union and unity with my brothers and sisters. I want to have peace and joy and comfort. I want to know I'm going somewhere. And where I go, God has my back. And I'm walking in light and not in darkness. And I'm looking myself in the mirror and I'm saying, you got to get this right, Sammy. Fight back the false darkness in you because it can become rampant and you can hurt people and you can hurt yourself. God hated our sins so much that he allowed his son to be born, live among us, be tempted, never fall into sin. And he sent him as a sacrifice for all of our sins and mess ups. To die the death that we all really kind of deserved, right? So don't fall short. Don't we all fall short in these categories as we come to a conclusion? We all fall short. We, we fall short in haughty eyes and a lying tongue, hearts that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Then, in the midst of all of this, because I've learned this when you read the scriptures in the Old Testament, whenever there was like a hard word for the people, there was always grace in it. Always. Always, always. Whenever God had something hard to say to a community, whenever God spoke something that was tough through a prophet, there was always grace in it. Always a way to find God's favor and grace. Always a way to get out. And, and that's for me right here, right now. And I want to encourage our community, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing in life, like don't you want an abundant life? A life filled with wonder and beauty and peace and have a family and have a marriage that lasts and that's healthy and have joy. Even though the world is filled with anxiousness, I want to be a person of peace and comfort. And so God steps in the room and he walks in the room with his beauty and his wonder and what captivates our soul when we are in our dark state is his light. It captivates us. It draws us in. It woos us closer to this agape, this love that takes over. And then what happens is grace then steps in. I know you've messed up, Sammy. I know you were that person. I know you made that mistake. I know you said those things. But my grace is sufficient in your weakness. 
let me step up. Let me fill you up. Let me remind you that I'm for you and not against you. Let me remind you that you were born and created in the very image of God. That you are not the tail, but you're the head. That, that you go before and you're not last. That God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. But I don't just want this all the time. Do you? I don't. I want the hard stuff. Like, I'm, I'm done with, like, okay, I got it. I love God. Yes. Like, what now? Because I want to do this right. I want to be healthy. I want my children to love me. And, like, I love my children. I want to have a healthy marriage. I want to love one another. I don't want to be that guy. Please, friends, community, call me out if this is me. Please. You have all authority to be like, hey, man, you're being a little haughty, bro. Come on, man. Like, that's not of God. Hey, I heard you, you caused some some conflict in family and community and friends that's not of God I need that I, as a man I know I'm like tilted more in the tender-hearted nature I tilt that way but I need the responsibility of a God that will discipline me because he's pushing me towards the future God never disciplines you to condemn you and make you low and make you weak. He disciplines to lift you up and to push you forward. And it's built with responsibility. So God, I want your wisdom. God, I want your discernment. God, if that's me, get rid of it. Help me work through it, Father. Help me process it. Let me look at the mirror and be honest with myself. Let me look make what is unconscious conscious in my mind I don't want the shadow side to be bigger than my life and light teach me Jesus your ways teach me your decrees I don't want just the pat on the back I want to grow and develop and mature and be a person that's not anxious and non-compelling and not judge non-judgmental I want to be like you Jesus Jesus says all right my grace and my love will get you through it. Follow me, all who are heavy burdened. Take on my yoke. Take on who I am. Do this life with me. It's a rhythm. It's hard. It's difficult. Life gets really hard, but I am with you. Don't, don't fret. There will be trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. And I don't know about you, but I just want to do it right. Like, I really want to do it. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where it's like, I just want to do right by you, God. So, like, forgive me if I'm, like, too much, because I just want to do right by God. Forgive me if this isn't a message I probably wouldn't have preached two years ago, but I want to do right by God. Forgive me. Like, I, I just have to be honest with the scripture. Like, I can't read over Proverbs 6. Man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God, I fear you. Not just terrified to look at you, but I fear your reverence and your awe, and I want you, God. So do what you must in me. Wreck me. Break me like you broke Jacob. I want to have a limp for the rest of my life because every time I limp like God wrestled with Jacob, it was a reminder, I need God. I need God. I'd rather be broken with God than feel like I got it all together in this world. Because I, I'm gonna, I mean, on, I really believe this stuff. Like, you gotta come to that place. Like, do you believe this stuff? Like, where's your soul at? Like, where, really? I just wanna do right by God. I mean, can we just be honest? Like, wherever you're at politically, like, isn't this world getting crazy 
I terrible? My gosh, how do we raise Lenya, Kelly? How do we do this right? I gotta go back to the source, the wisdom of God, not of man, not of a politician, not of a movement, not of a nationalism, but of God himself that says, walk with me and I will show you life and life more abundantly. But it starts with just like recognizing this and looking in the mirror and be like, man, the mirror, the mirror. I go, whoa, I'm Peter Pan and I'm chasing my shadow. So help me, God, please help me, God, to do this right. Would you stand with, with me as we finish? If you gotta go, I love you. I know like I went over. If you gotta go, I love you, but we just pray this prayer with wherever you're at, like wherever you're at. Like, and God, I just I, I want I want to grow with you, Jesus. And I'm I'm tired of being like a five-year-old Christian, even though I'm tired of being a five-year-old student when I've, I should have, like, I thought I graduated from elementary school. I thought I graduated from junior high and high school, and I, I, I thought I was, like, in this graduate work, but, like, Jesus, you're showing me I need to go back to elementary school with you. I don't want to compromise theology that says, rip this page out of the Bible. I don't want that compromise stuff. I want what's real, and it's going to offend me, and it's going to hurt me, and it's going to bug me, but it's going to make me better. So God, make me better. Craft me in your image, God. Help me to love one another even though I don't agree with them all the time. Help me to show grace over people because you show grace to me every single day. Teach me how to be humble. Teach me how to bring unity into a room. Teach me how to love one another, God. Teach me, show me, nurture me, whatever you need to do. But I don't want just the good stuff anymore. I want it to get hard so I can learn. That's where I'm at, God. So, Father, we give you this moment. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.